Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. I hope that you have a Bible with you. If you don't, there is a Bible provided for you in the pew. And we're going to be searching the Scriptures this morning to discover some things about the resurrection of Christ. So I hope you'll have a Bible in front of you. Luke chapter 24, we're going to start reading in verse 13. This is after Christ has been crucified and risen, and He meets a couple of His disciples on a road going to a place called Emmaus. Verse 13, it says, And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about three score furlongs. And they talked together and of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And when he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you, that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said unto him, Art thou only a stranger at Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? So it's interesting that he, that Cleopas, he, this was such an uproar in Jerusalem that he was amazed that anyone could not have known about it. Now, look at the sense of humor that Jesus Christ has. What things? He said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, how that the chief pri- and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which would have redeemed all Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And uh, And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels which said that he was alive. Now that'd be some wild news to hear, wouldn't it? Look what it says, verse 24. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets... He expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Dear Heavenly Father, please help us to find from the scriptures these things that were written about you. Father, I pray that you will increase our faith and help us to understand how important these things really are. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning I'm speaking on the subject, the promise of Easter. The promise of Easter, the promise of the resurrection. Jesus Christ, in speaking with his disciples, he tells us that the prophets, that Moses and all the prophets said that he was going to suffer. That's what he said. Later on, he appears to more of his disciples. And look at what it says in verse 44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled And look what it says, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets 
and in the Psalms concerning me. He had already told them these things, that the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and His resurrection were prophesied in Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms. That's what Jesus Christ said. Look at Luke chapter 18. Verse 31. He's called his disciples together. He's getting ready to go back up into Jerusalem. And he says, Then then he took unto him the twelve, and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. Have you ever wondered why the disciples didn't get it? It's really interesting. Because now look how specific Jesus gets in his prophecy. Look at the next verse. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, and spitefully entreated, and spitted on, and they shall scourge him, and put him to death. And the third day he shall rise again. Now let me ask you something. What he just said right there. Is it easy to understand the words that he's speaking? Now, to understand the reality of it, you know, if I told my kids I'm going to die today, they would understand the words, but the reality of it would be very shocking. But now look at the next verse. And they understood none of these these things. And this saying was hid from them, neither, neither knew they the things which were spoken. These things were hidden from the disciples. They couldn't comprehend it. And the reason for that is there are so many verses in the Bible prophesying the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to rule and reign on this earth. For every one verse in the Bible about His first coming, there are eight verses about His second coming. So these guys knew the Old Testament very, very well. But they didn't understand it. They didn't understand it. Do you know that the only way that you can really understand the Bible is by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit and God giving you understanding? That's what the Bible says. Amen? Go back to Luke chapter 24 and I'll show you how he helps them to understand this. Look at verse 44 again. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name, among all nations beginning at Jerusalem, and ye are witnesses of these things. The Bible tells us right here, Jesus Christ opens their understanding to understand all these things that were written in the Bible concerning Him, written in the Old Testament. Well, what things? The first thing that I want us to see this morning is the promise of the Old Testament. The promise of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God had prophesied that these things would take place, prophecies of His death. In Luke 24, 44, it tells us where these things are written in Moses, 
in the prophets and in the Psalms. Where in Moses? Look at Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. And you're going to have to turn fast because we're going to try and get through this information quickly. Verse 46. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 46. This is the establishment of the Passover. He says, In one house shall it be eaten. Thou shalt not carry forth aught of the flesh abroad out of the house. So keep it in the house. Neither shall ye break a bone thereof. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. You see, Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that Jesus is our Passover. This first Passover feast was fulfilled by Jesus Christ, but this feast feast represented the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for the whole world. The, The Bible says that God Himself said, When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Remember what had happened. The children of Israel had been rescued from the famine by Joseph in Egypt. And so they had gone down and they had survived the seven years of famine. But they stayed there. They were never supposed to stay there. They were supposed to go back to their land. So after 400 years, the pharaohs remembered not Joseph. And the children of Israel had become slaves and servants. And they couldn't, they couldn't uh, leave. So God sends Moses. Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, With the message of God, let my people go. He wouldn't let them go, so God brings ten specific plagues. The last plague was that if he didn't let them go, he was going to kill the firstborn in every house. But he gave them an out. If you'll take a spotless lamb and kill it, and take a hyssop branch and take that branch, dip it in the blood of that lamb, and put it on the side posts and on the lentil of the door, He said, when I cross over, God himself was going to come through the camp. He's going to come through Egypt. He said, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. And of course, when that blood was put on the lentil and on the side posts of the door, it made a cross. And Jesus Christ is the Passover lamb. When Jesus Christ was crucified, it was on the very day of the Passover, the 14th of Nisan. Jesus Christ is our Passover. But notice what it says about the Passover lamb. Don't break his bones. Don't break his bones. When Jesus Christ was on the cross, he was hanging there, and the Bible says that they were coming through, the Roman soldiers were coming through, and they would break the legs of the people on the cross. Because what the people on the cross would do is they would lift their feet up on those nails so they could take a breath. They'd break their legs so they'd fall down and they couldn't breathe and they would die sooner. Can you imagine breaking their legs was mercy? That's how cruel the cross was. When they got to Jesus Christ, they looked and it looked like he was already dead because remember what it says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, and he yielded up the ghost. Jesus Christ had died. And so they took the spear and they thrust it in his side and blood and water came out and he was dead, but they didn't break his bones. This was a prophecy in Moses about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and the way it would take place. Moses and the prophets. The same thing is said in Numbers chapter 9 and verse 12. Look at Psalm 34. Look at Psalm 34. The promise of the resurrection. Psalm 34, look at verse 20. He keepeth all his bones... Not one of them is broken. 
He keepeth all his bones. Not one of them is broken. And yet, the Bible in another place says, all my bones, they look at me. They had beaten him so bad, his bones were coming through the flesh. But they weren't broken. Prophecies of the crucifixion. Here's another one. Look at Zechariah chapter 9. Zechariah is the second to the last book of your Old Testament. So if you go to Matthew, right before that is Malachi. Right before that is Zechariah. The Bible says, Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms, Zechariah chapter 9, look at verse 9. All of the prophecies about this last week of Jesus Christ's life. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, and upon the colt, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. So here he comes. This is his triumphal entry. The Bible prophesies how Jesus Christ would come. Look at Psalm chapter 118, the 118th Psalm. Verse 26. Remember what they were shouting when Jesus Christ was coming in? This is it. Psalm 118, verse 26. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. God is the Lord which has showed us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords, even unto the horns of the altar. Thou art my God, and I will praise thee. Thou art my God, I will exalt thee. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endureth forever. When Jesus Christ rode in, they said, This blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Prophecies of Jesus Christ coming. Moses and in the prophets. All the things that he would suffer. Look at uh, Zechariah again. Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 7. Zechariah 13, 7. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd, and look what the Bible says. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite, the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered, and I will turn my hand upon the little ones. The Bible says, smite the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. What happens when Jesus Christ was smitten? His disciples scattered everywhere, just as was prophesied in the Word of God. The Bible says he would be betrayed by 30 pieces of silver. How, how much money was given to Judas? Look at Zechariah chapter 11. This is an amazing passage of Scripture. One service, we're going to just go through this passage and study it so you can see the amazing things that are in here. But let's start reading in verse 11. And it was broken in that day so that the poor of the flock, so the poor of the flock that waited upon me knew that it was the word of the Lord. So when you compare Scripture with Scripture, these are His disciples. His disciples would know what was going on. Now look at verse 12. And notice the pronouns. And I said unto me, if you think good, give me my price. If not, forbear. So they weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said unto me, Cast it unto the potter, a goodly price that I was prized at of them. And I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. Remember what happened? Judas comes and 
He's going to betray Jesus Christ. And Judas asks them for their price. What will you give me if I give you Jesus? And they thought about it, and they said, 30 pieces of silver. So Judas took the 30 pieces of silver, and he betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. And then afterward, he he had remorse. See, you can be used by Satan and still have remorse. The Bible says that Satan actually entered into Judas when he did this. It's an amazing thing. Judas, after he goes back and he tries to cast the money back to the priests, but they won't have it. So he takes it out into the potter's field and casts it and hangs himself. Just as it said in Zechariah chapter 11. But I want you to notice something. We talked about this in, in my Sunday school class this morning. Who crucified Jesus Christ? Who killed Him? Who was in charge? And remember, the, for many years there was all this anti-Semitism. Remember when the, when the movie The Passion of the Christ came out? The Anti-Defamation League, which is a Jewish organization, was scared to death. Because when passion plays have been shown throughout the centuries, people would then go and kill Jewish people. They, their passion would be so aroused, they'd go and kill the Jews. Don't just take my word for it. Check it out in history. They were scared to death of the Jews, were scared to death of the passion play because of one line in a passion play that comes from the Word of God. It says, be it on our heads and on our children's heads. That's what the Jews prayed for. And so these people who call themselves Christians would go and kill them because of that. Do you know why they believe that? Because they believe that the Jews killed Jesus. The Jews didn't kill Jesus. Look who is in charge in Zechariah. Verse 12, And I said unto them, If you think good, give me my price. Look at verse 13, And the Lord said unto me, Cast it unto the potter. God was completely in charge. Now, was Judas responsible for his actions? Yes, because Jesus said it would be better for that man if he had never been born. That's what Jesus said about Judas. So Judas was responsible for his actions. He had a choice. He could have done something else. But he gave himself over to Satan. He gave himself over. But even in the betrayal of Jesus Christ, God was in charge. See, who killed Jesus? God did. God did. None of us could kill him because he's God. He's all-powerful. Satan couldn't kill him. The Bible says that he's going to destroy Satan with the words of his mouth. He doesn't even have to fight him. He just ends him like that. Who killed Jesus Christ? God did. And He did it for you and for me. And the Bible prophesied that all the way back in the book of Zechariah. The promise, the promise of Easter. None of these things were a surprise. And I want you to notice one other thing here before we move on. Look at verse 12. And I said unto them, If you think good, give me my price. So they asked him, what price will you give for Jesus? And they said, 30 pieces of silver. 
In Exodus chapter 21, 32, we're not going to take the time to turn there, but do you know what 30 pieces of silver is? It's the value of a servant that's been gored by an ox. Not much. That's what they thought of Jesus. They thought that this gives us an understanding of how men value the Savior. He is the least valuable person in the world. And this gives you an understanding of the contrast between the heart of man and the heart of God. These people who think so little of Jesus Christ, they think He is a worthless servant. These are the people that Jesus Christ came and died for and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's the difference in the heart of Christ and in my heart. Man, my heart can be full of vengeance. My heart can be full of bitterness and anger. If you do me harm, man, I'm ready to fight back. Jesus Christ said, how about I just come and die for you and pay for your sin? All that is found all the way in Zechariah chapter 11. Let's look at some other verses just so you can see how specific Christ was in the Word of God. Look at Psalm chapter 69. Psalm 69. You remember what Jesus Christ said, all that was written in Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Psalm 69, look at verse 21. And they gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. What did they give Jesus Christ on the cross? Vinegar mingled with gall. Now let me ask you this. Do you think when they were crucifying Jesus Christ that they had gone back to the book of Psalms and tried to discover what the Bible had said they would do at that moment? No. These are specific prophecies that Jesus Christ fulfilled. Look at chapter 22, Psalm 22, verse 18. The 22nd Psalm is one of the most amazing prophetic Psalms in the Bible. Psalm 22, verse 18. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. They gambled for Jesus' clothes at the cross. Is that what they did? This is prophesied in Psalm 22. Do you think those people who were gambling said, hey, we better fulfill Psalm 22? No. Look at verse, uh, look at verse 16, Psalm twenty-two, sixteen. 16. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Look at Psalm said how Jesus Christ would die. Specific and powerful. The Bible says he would die among malefactors in Isaiah chapter 53, and he died among the thieves. Look at Psalm 22 and verse 1. Remember what Jesus Christ said on the cross? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The Bible prophesied that that would happen. Specific prophecies. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, 9 that he would be buried by a rich man. But what about prophecies of his resurrection? Look at Matthew 22. Matthew 22. I want you to understand who God is. Matthew chapter 22. This is the promise of the resurrection. This is where this becomes so important. Matthew 22. Look at verse 32. Matthew 
Verse 31, But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have ye not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. (laughs) Because God is saying, I am the God of resurrection. And he identifies that with being the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Which is the God of the Old Testament. Well, where can we find this in the Old Testament? Let's go back to Psalm chapter 16. Psalms chapter 16. You'll notice if you're a guest, it's hard to come to Grace Baptist Church without a Bible. This is, it doesn't matter what I think about stuff. What we need to know is what God has said. Amen, Grace Baptist? This is true. God's Word is truth. It says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy Word is truth, John 17, 17. So we're getting the promise of the resurrection from the Word of God itself, not from the mind of man. Look at Psalm 16. Look at verse 10. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life, and thy presence is fullness of joy, and at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Who is the holy one? Only Jesus. Only Jesus. There's none holy but God, the Bible says. Jesus Christ is the holy one. God would not allow him to see corruption but would raise him from the dead. Look at Psalm 49, verse 15. The promise of the resurrection. The promise of the Old Testament. Psalm 49. Look at verse 15. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Selah. Isn't that a blessing? Now, whenever you see that word Selah, that is a prophetic passage. That's what that's dealing with. And so here we have Jesus Christ being raised from the dead, spoken of and promised in the book of Psalms. The Bible promises that Jesus Christ would rise on the third day because of Jonah. As Jonah was in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth three days and three nights. Genesis chapter 22 and verse 4, when, Jesus, when, when Abraham offers Isaac He offers him believing in the resurrection. He was going to kill his son. Believing in the resurrection. Isaac, the perfect type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know how we know that that's true? Because Hebrews chapter 11 says that's what Abraham believed when he was doing it. The promise of the resurrection. But what about the promise of the New Testament? What does the New Testament, in telling us about the resurrection... What, what is the hope for us? Is all of the promise of Easter something that happened in the past? Are we just coming like on the 4th of July, we're celebrating the, the independence of our nation? That's something that happened in the past and it's going away fast. Amen? Is the resurrection of Jesus Christ something that happened in the past with no lasting consequences? No. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We've looked at the promise of the Old Testament. Let's look at the promise of the New Testament. The first thing that we have based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the promise of the gospel. The gospel. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3. For I delivered unto you also, first of all, 
that which I also received. So I like the way that Paul says that. When I give the gospel, if I give the gospel to Nick and I share the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ with Nick, it's not because I'm anything. I'm giving what somebody else gave me. What I have received from someone else, I'm giving to him. That's what the gospel is all about. We're just, I'm just one beggar showing another beggar where I found bread. That's what the gospel is. So now look at what it says. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen of Cephas and then of the twelve, and after that He was seen of more than five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. And after that He was seen of James and of all the apostles, and last of all, He was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. So here's the idea. It's very simple. Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, we have the gospel. What's the gospel? Well, it's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the Scriptures. Why is that important? Because Jesus Christ died for our sins. He didn't just die because He wanted to die. He died for a reason. The reason Jesus died is because you and I deserve hell forevermore. Every one of us. That's what we have earned. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. You say, wait a minute, my parents are Christians. Well, I'm glad your parents will be in heaven. You'll be in hell. You say, wait a minute, my dad, my, my mom, she, she played the piano at church. She was a, it doesn't have anything to do with your mom and dad. All of us are sinners. My dad's a preacher. My dad can't take me to heaven. The reason that Jesus Christ died is because my dad can't take me to heaven. The reason that Jesus Christ died is because there is nothing that I can do that will make me good enough to go to heaven. I cannot save myself. He died for our sins And then he rose from the dead. Do you know what that gives us? That gives us the promise of the gospel. Because Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead, I can have eternal life. I can be saved. Can I ask you a question this morning? Are you born again? Jesus Christ said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, You must be born again. Are you born again? Not have you heard the gospel. Are you born again? Have you trusted Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life? I'm not asking you if you've been baptized. Have you been born again? I'm not asking you if you're a member of the church. Have you been born again? I'm not asking you if you're a good mom or a good dad or a good student. I'm asking you, have you been born again? Have you trusted Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life, confessing your sin and receiving Him as your Savior. Have you ever trusted Him alone? That's the promise of the gospel. We have that because He rose from the dead. So first, we have the promise of the gospel. And then second, we have the promise of our resurrection. Look at verse uh, 12. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. Now, if Christ be preached that He rose from the dead, 
how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? See, somebody was telling these people that, yeah, Jesus Christ rose from the dead, but we're not going to. When we die, that's it. Well, because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, then we know that we will be raised from the dead. We will see our loved ones again. Look at what, the, look at what it says. Let's go on. Verse 13, But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is, Christ, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and ye are yet in your sins. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the promise that we can be saved. That when we die, that's not the end. It's the promise. How many of you have a loved one that has died? Me too. In 1995, our son Riley died. He's four and a half months old. What's our hope? It's like David said. He can't come unto me, but I can go unto him. The Bible says that we're not supposed to sorrow as those which have no hope. Why? Because it says, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. What is that called? The resurrection of the dead. We believe that because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That's the promise of Easter. It's the promise of our resurrection, the promise of the gospel, the promise of our resurrection. And it's also the promise of life to come. Look at verse 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. People say, what about life after death? What do you believe about life after death? That's not what I believe. It's what I know. I know that I have eternal life. I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that when my body is laid in the grave, that I am going to be with Jesus Christ forever. Why? Because of 1 John 5, 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that ye may know that you have eternal life. I know it. Why? Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The fact that He rose from the dead gives me hope in the next life. Now, that's not I hope so. Biblical hope is based on the promise of God, which is just as sure as God is. That is awesome! Because, can I tell you something? Life can be hard. Is this all there is? When I think about Christians in the Sudan right now, remember the pictures that we saw last week? The way that they eat, the way that they live, the life that those saved people have? It's a miserable existence. If that's all there is, you know what? That's pretty miserable. But because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, what does the Bible say that there is at the right hand of God? Pleasure forevermore. Praise God. The promise of Easter. The promise of the resurrection. Then there's also the promise of His return. Look at verse 13. The promise of His return. This is all from the resurrection. But every man in his own order, Christ, the firstfruits. Remember, He fulfilled the feast of the firstfruits. That's His resurrection. Afterward, they that are Christ's at His coming. The fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead is the promise that He is going to return. He's coming back. 
And you know what I like? Is there anybody here? You're tired of your physical condition. Yeah. Some people have shingles. Some people have diabetes. Some people have arthritis. Right? Genuine physical ailments. Some people can't breathe. It's hard to live very good without breathing, right? Do you know what the hope of the resurrection is? Look at what it says. Look at verse 53. Or look at verse 50. Let's just jump to verse 51. If you're taking notes, I'm sorry. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That's the verse for the nursery workers, right? We're going to be changed. Look at verse 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. Do you know what God, do you know what the resurrection of Jesus Christ promises me? A new body. A new body. Man, if I try to play basketball, the mind is willing, but the flesh is weak. My legs are gone, man. I can't do some of this stuff anymore. The stuff that I used to be able to do easily. I try to throw a ball and it feels like my arm's going to fall off. You know, just this body, it gets old. But the promise of the resurrection is it's all new. It's for a little time that we have this struggle. Isn't that a blessing? Now, here's the deal. We need to live life to the fullest on this earth to demonstrate to other people the fullness that Christ gives us in this world. But that's not the end. Let's be careful that we're not too entangled with the affairs of this life so that we can serve Him who's called us to be a soldier. Amen? So we've looked at the promise of the Old Testament, the promise of the New Testament. But lastly, I want us to look at the promise of the tomb. The promise of the tomb. Look at John chapter 20. John chapter 20, verse 1. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth, and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and that's John. That's the way he writes about himself. He doesn't use his own name. Whom Jesus loved and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together. The other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. I just think that it's so funny that John has to tell us that he ran faster than Peter. Dudes are dudes, you know. It just, it just doesn't matter. Look at verse 5. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying and yet went not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulcher and seeth the clothes lie and the napkin that was about his head not lying with the linen clothes but wrapped together in a place by itself. 
Then went in also that other disciple which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. What's going on here? They come in. First thing that I want you to understand, how many of you have heard of the Shroud of Turin? It's a fake. You know how we know? Because of the napkin. The shroud didn't cover his face. So the shroud wouldn't have his face on it. So here you have the napkin. And this is one of the evidences of the resurrection. If they, stole, if they snuck in to steal Jesus Christ's body, would they have taken time to take the grave clothes and fold them neatly? The other thing, the Bible says do everything decently and in order. God is a God of order. He's such a God of order that when he rose from the dead, he made his bed. <laughs> Amen? So when you tell your kids to make their bed, you can say, be like Jesus. Make your bed. Amen? But we're learning something else other than just interesting trivia by what's going on here. The napkin, look at what it says. Look at what it says. Verse 7. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. What do we learn? Well, first of all, we learn the tomb wasn't empty. There was something in it. Jesus Christ left a message for his disciples. You know what this is? When you would have a feast, the Jewish custom was when you were eating, if you got up from the table and you were done, you would take your napkin and you would just place it on your plate. But if you were coming back, you would fold it neatly to the side. The promise of the folded napkin and Jesus Christ's empty tomb, he said, I'm coming back coming back we have the promise of the old testament told us everything that would happen we have the promise of the new testament teaching us the benefits of the resurrection and we have the promise of the tomb jesus christ is coming again but you know just because you know these things doesn't make you a disciple of jesus christ look at mark chapter 16 everyone please look at this and we'll be done mark chapter 16 This is after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 14. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. Do you know that there are people? I would imagine that there are some people here in this room and your hearts are hard. I've been telling you all these things, demonstrating supernatural evidence from the Old Testament that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You understand that those specific prophecies were written, the prophecies in the Psalms were written 700 years before Jesus Christ was crucified. It says in another spot in Psalms, it says they shoot out the lip. They say the exact thing, they prophesy the exact thing that the people said. If you be the Son of God, come down off of the cross. Those exact words are prophesied in the Old Testament. The exact words that were said. The exact drink, the wine mingled with the vinegar mingled with gall. The exact drink, the exact words, the exact method of death. He pierced my hands and my feet. 
the exact words that Jesus Christ would speak. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken? The way that he would ride into the city. The way that he would be praised and exalted. The way that he would be betrayed. The Bible says, the way that he would be betrayed. The Bible says, by my own familiar friend was I betrayed. It says that in the Psalms. Who betrayed him? One of his own disciples. His own familiar friend. The specific prophecies that only God could make. He's demonstrated to you that he is God. He demonstrated it by the prophecy before he died. And then he demonstrated it in the ultimate way. They said, prove to us that you're God. And he said, okay, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up again in three days. You want me to prove to you that I'm God? Jesus said, kill me and I'll rise from the dead in three days. He did that. He gave the supernatural prophecy of his crucifixion and resurrection and then the supernatural fulfillment of his resurrection from the dead. What more do you need? But if your heart's hard, you'll reject it. You say, if I could only see him, if I could only be with him, then I would believe. Really? How about Judas? Look at our verse. Mark 16, 14. Afterward, he appeared unto the twelve. What's it say? Why only eleven? Why only eleven? Because one that had been with him, that saw him, that handled him, that saw the resurrection of that, that saw the crucifixion of Christ, he didn't live long enough to see the resurrection. He had hung himself. Why didn't he believe? He had a hard heart. You see, all of these facts that I've given you, and some of them are very interesting, wouldn't you say? All of these facts that I've given you are vitally important, but just knowing the facts does not take you to heaven. You must believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, that He was buried, that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? What a great day to get saved, Easter Sunday. You say, but I'm... I'm it's embarrassing. I don't want people to know that I'm not saved. Embarrassed? If you got cured from cancer, would you be embarrassed? No. If you're healed, you're healed. He wants to heal you in a way that's better than anything that could ever happen to your body. He wants to heal you spiritually forever. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, do it today. You must be born again. Do you know what that is? That's the promise of the resurrection. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word.